Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst from Faster Skier. We have got quite an episode for you today with uh, a bevy of guests, including Alex Harvey, the retired world champion from Quebec, and the guy who's basically his uh, replacement on the Canadian team, uh, Tony Sear. We'll recap a three-day weekend of racing in Oberhof, Germany. We'll be right back after this message. One other thing, we're going to be hosting a live taping of the show in Minneapolis on the weekend of the World Cup on Sunday, February 18th. One thing we could use is a little bit of audio production expertise, because if you listen to this podcast, you know that we don't have a ton of that to go around. So if you live in Minneapolis, if you're going to be in Minneapolis for the World Cup, and this is an area you have some confidence, drop me a line. Nat, N-A-T, at fasterskier.com. Thanks. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is sponsored by Solomon. The best way to create a better tomorrow is to be enthusiastic about what's coming next and prepare for what's yet to be done. Solomon has committed to a responsible tomorrow by refocusing the entire company and its operations to create responsible products with a smaller footprint on the environment. Solomon's goal is to drive change within our communities by creating more inclusive outdoor experiences. At the same time, they are committed to conducting their business responsibly while delivering high-performing products with the most innovative designs. Together, we must unleash the best version of ourselves and collectively become agents of change. Solomon, tomorrow is yours. Check out Solomon's full line of skis, boots, clothing, and accessories at Solomon.com. One new thing we're trying out this week is a snow and service report from Eli Brown, a member of the U.S. Ski Team's service and waxing staff, who some of you might remember was a guest on the show earlier this year. Here's his quick recap from the weekend. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I'm just checking in from Oberhof here after a long and crazy weekend. I thought I'd give you an insight into what the snow is like and from the tech side of things. Yeah, pretty dreary, dreary lead up thinking about or watching the biathlon there and seeing how dirty the man-made snow was the weekend prior to our arrival. And uh, luckily, you know, midweek before the races started, there was a good dumping of snow, maybe 10, 15 centimeters. Um, that was on Thursday, the day before the Classic Race. Classic Race was good. It was um, kind of uh, mid-range hard wax conditions. But a little bit tricky with uh, the way they groomed and tilled up some of the old man-made snow. And a, a quick glaze and a soft pole track made things a little bit tricky, especially on the last climb, which uh, all weekend was kind of a crux point, as you saw if you watched the races. Um, and also kind of more the, the, a, the most slippery snow, a little bit more man-made, wind-scoured climb there before the finish. Um, no, but it was good. I, th- I think we had good skis uh, on Friday. Saturday was, uh, for the mass start, was, again, similar kind of hard wax and maybe a clister, clister binder type conditions. It was really fast in the track, um, almost like glass, uh, with a small section that was kind of blown in powder from the, from the trees. Um, and again, yeah, we were kind of on a mix of, of hard wax and, and clister covered that day, on, uh, yesterday on Saturday. Um, relay day today, big wins last night. 
probably woke up three or four times because the windows in the hotel were shaking. Um, but yeah, all the snow and the trees ended up in the tracks, as you saw if you watched the race with, with uh, in, in the relay there in the classic legs with people double pulling outside the track and on the downhills that outside the track. Um, but yeah, and again, t again, tricky there with uh, the kind of mix of conditions, snow and glaze and ice. Um, and that last Crux Hill again, where where it was kind of scoured and, and a, a, a tricky spot there. But uh, yeah, all in all is good. Just want to share share my insights there from, from the USA Wax Truck. We're on to Goms. See you next time. Take care. Yo, dude. Hello, sir. How's it going? How's it going? Uh, I'm surviving. I'm surviving my, um, if you're hearing the light hum of uh, airplane white noise, that's just my 2013 MacBook Air. That's all. That's all it is. A ten-year-old, ten-year-old MacBook. Tim Cook, Steve Jobs. This is a bona fide podcast. We got to get an Apple sponsorship here. Yeah, yeah. Imagine, imagine. How are you doing? What a, what a, what a weekend in Oberhof. By the way, I thought you were going to say what a weekend in the uh, Greater Anchorage area because it was also that. But yeah, um, you know what, Devin? I I have to be honest. It is nine thirty in Alaska. I did not watch an hour and a half of ski racing this morning. Also, I felt like if Rosie Brennan and Jesse Diggins were not going to race the relay, I don't have to watch the relay. You kind of missed a you, you. Well, yes and no. I, I'm glad. Are we really going to open with this? Because yeah, we are. Okay, we okay. Let's open with the relays. Um, because the men's relay was actually like quite exciting TV in the sense that there was. There was some drama when no one wants to try and the pack becomes swells to 10, 11 teams with a Claybo at half mast and an aging Pellegrino with still a wicked kick in skate. Richard Juve there. I mean, it, it, the men's relay was actually, dare I say it, exciting. I mean, at least the finish. Not the actual, actually, the classic legs of the men's relay were incredibly exciting. Well, I, and then, uh, I yeah, and then in the skate, and then in the skate, we were all just cruising around in zone two. Um, but it definitely built up some suspense. There's no question about that. And the, the sprint finish, the last 500 meters of that thing was cross country skiing, men's cross country skiing at its finest, honestly. Well, maybe we should take like a two minute break. I, I was about two minutes from the finish in the men's race. So I don't actually know what happened. I just assume, you know, but but it maybe it's more fun that way. You can you can just gently break the news to me. Yeah, well, I mean, I was kind of hoping Alex, Alex Harvey is supposed to join our, our little podcast this evening, as is Tony Boy, Antoine Sear, who has been tearing up the distance events on the World Cup, especially in classic, um, fresh off another top 10 finish in the 20 kilometer classic mass start so we'll hear from him a little later but sure let me let me break it down as i saw it in the men's relay I, starting with the newest races you know Klebo has had the worst weekend in his entire career no question i mean he was he was hot garbage actually in the, especially in the 20k classic which we'll come back to but there was a lot of question marks he was even saying in the media that he didn't want to anchor he didn't feel comfortable anchoring the relay and they're like sorry buddy you're the best anchor since Petter Nortug you're anchoring the relay and well, he's like can, okay 
Can we add also, I mean, I did read a little bit yesterday. Like the dude said he lost five kilos, 11 pounds. Yeah. And I am no doctor, but I am studying to be a doctor. And the Norwegian media, this has been repeated ad nauseum since he dropped that little bomb on the Norwegian media landscape. Here's the deal. If you have an influenza and you have a fever for six days, I guess the thing is, is like he almost, it was almost like an innuendo that he's like, I lost five kilos essentially of muscle. He never said it though. I'm not going to put words into his mouth. He didn't say I lost five kilos of muscle, but when they asked him, was it, did you lose five kilos of muscle? He didn't, he didn't immediately say like, of course not. That makes no physiological sense. He didn't say that. He said, well, I'm feeling quite weak, which is, which is fair. I mean, you're feeling weak, but so this has just been repeated and repeated and repeated. I'm almost like pulling my hair out because I'm like, first of all, if you lost five kilos, you were dehydrated AF. If you have like a wicked high fever for six days or a week, and then you don't go to the hospital, which you didn't, and get like just pounded through IVs and stuff, it takes some time to to rehydrate yourself to like an optimal level. Still, still, let me say this right now for a healthy adult male to lose five kilos through dehydration in a week in Norway. Like we're not in the Sahara desert with influenza and COVID and like Ebola happening at the same time. Like it it is to say it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, again, I'm no healthcare professional, but it, it sure made, it sure made a media splash. And I will say that fact checks or not, Klebo was reduced this weekend. Like no question. Like I said, he was, it's the worst I've ever seen him. And he, he was, he was pretty clear that he was not feeling super confident. I think he was hoping that, okay, well I'll do, I'll anchor Norway one because we're going to come into the last leg with like a minute and a half lead. And this will be no big deal. And I'll just comfort cruise my way to glory, <laughs> to glory. And that is not what he got. Although in the last leg, even though you're 500 meters from the finish, you saw what I saw. Poroma tried for one kilometer of the last leg to try and do something of Sweden. And aside from that, they were going level one, level two, maybe. It was it was chill to the max. When when Finland too is still in the group or Germany too, nothing against those teams, but come on now. Uh we're not we're not putting the pedal to the metal. We're not. So it was uh teeing up for like the most amazing sprint finish of in a long, long time. And that's what we got, and that's what you missed. But uh Stenshagen opened the account by going fairly early and you know he was there was some criticism about that move but I think it was actually a smart move by Stenshagen who isn't a slouch in the sprint and he looks around and he sees the guys that he's gonna have to tee up against down the stretch and he knows how fast Richard Juve is and he's like if I go a little early maybe I can take the sting out of Juve's legs or even park him completely and that's what he ended up able to do he parked Finland and even though by going as early as Stenshagen did in the last yeah, 400, 500 meters. It guaranteed that he wasn't going to win for Norway too, but it also set him up for a podium finish. And after his heartbreaking fourth place of yesterday in the 20K Classic, I thought I thought it was quite a gutsy move and, and hats off to Stenshagen for, for that tactical decision. And Klebo was in the perfect position coming off Stenshagen and launching his kick. And it was, looked pretty lethal at the start. And then like, Pellegrino comes up beside him and then really starts turning on the turning on the jets. And for a few seconds, you're like, 
oh my God, this is happening again. But no, it was not happening again. You've never seen, well, you have. You've seen Happy Claybo when he like wins Olympic gold and wins uh, the overall World Cup globe and the Tour de Ski, that sort of thing. But it was pure relief. And it was actually pretty pretty moving to see because, you know, a, a guy like Claybo, we kind of start to think that he's invincible. You know what I mean? Like he is like Michael Jordan at his peak. And, you know, having an influenza, like 11 pounds or not, <laughs> the facts of losing 11 pounds or not, notwithstanding, uh, he obviously was incredibly ill over the over the holidays, and it's taking a long time to get back. And he's not the only one in the field that's struggling. There's a lot of people struggling with sickness, and I think he was a pretty happy camper that he was able to take that men's relay. Yeah, I was just gonna say I I I, I watched the last minute here, and and similarly struck by the usually you know stayed and stolid Claybo who wins a race with a frown, and he he definitely smiled and dispensed some hugs here. I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, Friday, Saturdays, and, and we'll talk about the sprint and the, and the individual, the uh, master distance race, but, um, you know, Claybo, uh, th this was an astonishing stat that, um, Ryan Cedarquist, uh, threw out there. He was announcing the races this weekend and, and Claybo had been on the podium in 38 consecutive world cup sprints until Friday. Uh, and then doesn't even make the finals. And that is just like, I mean, it's shocking. Uh, on the one hand, I think on the other hand, based on everything we've seen from him this season, like the dude is is not himself. And I, I think like what I really wanted to emphasize was like, you know, the Tour de Ski has come and gone. Claybo did not race in the Tour de Ski this year. Um, we're, we're well into, we're into late January now. And the dude, like the dude is not, I mean, you know, he, he won, races looking like himself earlier in the season and he'll probably be back but like at this point like he's there's not it's not like there's anything else left for him to really do this season except for individual you know world cup races it's like he's kind of missed missed the boat at this point like stick a fork and johannes clay was 2024 season time to start thinking about tron time 2025 in, in a way i mean do you agree with that in in some ways in some ways you saw me you saw me bristle a little bit like I, I bristled a little bit because I, I think he has turned his gaze towards 2025 for sure I mean he has been sick twice already in this race season which is two times too many although sometimes that can be unavoidable I, I think he's already thinking ahead to like okay how can we not have this happen next season that said as good as Valdness is and we'll get into that um, you know, who won well all three races this weekend. The the big Norwegian from northern Norway that really, really stomped it in Oberhof. He, you know, he is leading the sprint cup, but Klebo, it's not like Klebo is like well off the pace in the sprint cup. And there's a lot of sprints left in the season. And like you said, with the stat that you just that you just mentioned, I mean, the last time he didn't make it in especially in classic sprinting. The last time that this has happened, I mean, he broke a pole. I remember this because it was in Lillehammer, you know, it's years and years and years ago, he broke a pole and that's why he didn't move on out of his round. That has never happened. Like it, it, what happened on Friday was like nothing. There was no accident. He didn't crash. He didn't take a bad line through the corners. He just straight up got lit up and, and that, it, double pole like that, that has never happened in his entire career. Um, so that was pretty shocking to see, but he, like I said, he, he, it's just, motivation is one thing for sure but i i think it it's just like it really took the sting out of him and i thought he's not the only one i mean like kruger who also missed the tour de ski for the second straight year who is man the odds on favorite to even 
well, Harald Amundsen just stomped the Tour de Ski. So I think it would have been pretty hard for, for Kruger to, to beat him in this Tour de Ski. But at the same time, a, a healthy Kruger is hard to hard to battle with. And even in this the, the, the men's relay, he was in the third leg. They're crawling out there. I mean, like, there's not a whole lot of action happening. And you're like, okay, Kruger's just waiting for the last two and a half K. Then he's just going to unleash. And he didn't unleash for shit. He just kind of hung out in the pack of this giant packzilla and went into the exchange and like kind of like a whoo. I, I, at least I didn't lose any time. And and this is not normal for for a racer of of a Kruger's caliber. So sickness has definitely been decimated. It's kind of been the story of the season, to be perfectly frank. Um, but I mean, uh, I, have, I have some questions about that too. I mean, and I don't, you know, maybe that's more for like someone like a Tony or athletes or coaches that come on later. But I, you know. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, like when I went to go interview Claybo in Utah, I was, I was struck by the fact that like, no one, no one asked me to mask. No one like asked me to wash my hands. Like they washed my hands after like we shook, they washed their hands after we shook hands. But I mean, I think you see, I think maybe you saw some stuff earlier in the world cup season two, or just like not, I mean, I'm not being critical here. I think like, part of being able to last through a world cup, particularly like for these North Americans is like, they need to return to real life and not feel like they're in a being bio containment hazard situation all the time. But like the flip side of that is like, if this is the focus of your whole year and it gets blown up by illness, like art do teams want to rethink our teams going to rethink like the, the preventative like protocols they have and I you know it's hard to know I haven't been over there but I feel like I've seen quite a bit on social media where like it definitely hasn't been as tight as it has been in last year's again for for good reason I'm not being critical but um just sort of an observation so I don't know do you want to talk through the women's relay and then and then hopefully these other uh the the um the the other Canucks can hopefully join us here and give us some more context on these individual races sure sure I, I let's 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 just tackle the relays right away before alex or maybe alex doesn't show up he's got a young daughter who he's home alone with so we'll just have to wait and see but tony is going to join us here in a little while um but we can talk sure I, before we move on to the women's relay because i do want to just cover the men's relay i i thought and, and especially the u.s super disappointing day for the american men in the relay like shockingly disappointing they've they put up some great individual races all season long and it was a bit of a tricky waxing day and i think you have some in, intel on that from from some staff on the american team so i won't bury the lead too too much on that but that said it was just you know there's hype now i mean these guys are skiing at a really really high level and when the race is raced like it was aka kind of a joke for most of it on the men's side you're you you expect if finland too is in the group and you, of course, expect the American men to be in the group. So it was, it was a pretty dark day for for the Americans, um, just so that said. And on the flip side, it has been an incredibly dark season for the Canadian men all season long, other than Tony. Tony has been not just a bright spot, but thank the good Lord above for uh, Antoine Sear. Because on the men's side of things, individually, for Canada, it has been, well, a nightmare. I mean... You had Graham Ritchie break his ankle. <laughs> That's a bummer. So you have your best sprinter. He's out for the season when he slipped in the ice and Osterson broke his ankle. Um, but some of these young talents, like Olivier, just like, we, we'll get back to this, but in the 20K Classic yesterday, I mean, like they they went out hard for what 
I, I heard from some other athletes and, and I want to ask Tony about this, but the athletes I talked with off air, they were saying like, yeah, I mean, the pace was pretty hot for the first two laps. Like I was on my toes and then, then the pace died completely. And it was very, very chill for four laps of that thing in the 20 K and you had that you had like 25 men in a big group and, you know, Olivier who is medaled at world juniors, like can't even hack the pace to stay with that. Xavier McKeever. Yeah. He's a first year senior. So I cut him a lot of slack. Actually. He's, he's just there for experience. But that said, I mean, when the group's 25 people strong, you should be able to hang with that group at least to the last lap. And Canadians have no chance in hell to do that. Uh, I know the American men also struggled in the 20 days. So we'll come back to that. But the whole point about being a Debbie Downer with the Canadian men is to say, but at least the relay went well. I thought Zavsky's super solid. I think Sasha Masson, who is such a bright spot and really hungry skier, also trains out of the Quebec Training Centre, um, doing his World Cup debut internationally anyway. And I thought he sat there, he skied super solid in that relay. And then Tony had the best time. And you know how much I hate best times in relays because they don't mean shit. We talked about that. I'm going to leave that just on the shelf. But the fact of the matter is, I saw the thing and Baldness was beasting and Ivo Niskanen was beasting and Tony was, well, skiing, quote unquote, faster than those guys, but in a, in a little bit of a different race as a chaser instead of making the race. But that said, I mean, Tony skied a fantastic leg and Olivier was getting dropped. I mean, he he was when Porama went to the front there for that one kilometer, Olivier got dropped instantly. But then everyone skied zone one. So he was able to come back into the race and they ended up they ended up eighth, which I thought was a amazing result given how their individual races have been going. But let's move on to the women's relay because it was a tale of two relays. I mean, like the men's relay was a comfort cruise for a lot of it and really tactical and, and made for some suspense. Whereas on the women's side of things, it was amazing racing, but not suspenseful. I mean, Lynn Swan delivered a, a beautiful first leg and then Frida Carlson just destroyed that relay like what a second leg by Frida Carlson yeah and you know putting the boots to Henning and I just want to talk to you about this I don't know if you noticed this but like Henning looked like a million bucks out there like she was skiing great she was on her own everyone was just sprayed out all over the field skiing on their own but still like Henning was looking so good and just bleeding time to a Frida Carlson that was on a completely other planet. And the Swedish women are, you know, like they can win six ways to Sunday. Like there's, there's no weaknesses when they're on the level they're at. It's incredible. They're going to have to break up Sweden. That's my new talking point, you know, two nations, North, North, South or something like that, just to make it fair for the next few years. Cause yeah. Nor- Norway, has anyone seen, has anyone seen Norway? Yeah. Norway? It was the worst. It was, it was the Norwegian women are having apropos getting nuked by sickness and just, like a calamity of errors the norwegian women are a shadow of themselves and the result which was three minutes behind. 40 yeah. seconds behind yeah. it was it was it was the worst women's relay for norway in over tw- in 23 years so that just kind of highlights how disastrous an outing it was for the norwegian women but that said, they had Mirvold in there. I mean, like you have a pure sprinter in your relay team for Norway. It's like unheard of. But you have no Anna Schirsti, Calvo. You have no Astrid Oyrishlind. You have no Heidi. You have no Fosses home. Tire Lundesveng is coming back from having missed the entire season because of illness and is obviously just training herself back into shape. Her twin sister, Lotta, is not there. I mean, they're missing every... Ingveld hasn't started a race this year because of the... 
because of her, her um, health. So it's just been a, a total disaster on the Norwegian team. But the Swedes, even with a strong Norwegian team, no one is going to touch the Swedes. And I really wish Alex was on for this because I'm going to say this right now. Lynn Svahn has the best classics technique for women. If there's any young women athletes or coaches, club coaches around that are like struggling to like have a model technically on how to how to ski in classic go look at the first leg of this relay and lynn swan has no weaknesses technically it is absolutely like solid doesn't begin to describe it i'm, I'm in awe i'm sitting there watching this relay and watching how lynn swan is skiing and her angles and how she's kicking and everything about it i'm like man why isn't every single ski coach on planet earth using this as a model because it is incredible stuff and then and then when they have the depth that they do there's not much they can do i do want to i wanted to get your sense though like sundling who remember we talked about her like a couple years ago being is she going to be the next bjergen blah 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 and i know she had like over a minute or whatever when she or around a minute when she started that last leg so what's the motivation but hats off to victoria carl because she skied a phenomenal <laughs> last leg for germany and almost awesome. like it was awesome and and the difference in body language the difference in like Victoria Carl was was at, was hammering and attacking right to the bitter end, and you know she got within twenty seconds, like under twenty seconds from from uh, Sundling. But more importantly, it was just like the body language, like Lynn, uh, sorry, um, Sundling, who also has like super solid technique, like all the Swedish women, was kind of falling apart at the end of there, at the end of that thing. And and Victoria Carl was really like laying the boots to that that race. And I thought it was fun to see the Finnish women. Uh, climb onto the podium because you know finish the men and women have this tendency to have like three solid legs always and then just one total stinker and it almost looked like that was going to happen like Killinen looked like you're like oh man Killinen has just like Matt and Tallo had an amazing first leg and then you're just like okay this is like Killinen's just throwing this in the garbage and then she she hold on just enough to to give them a chance and nice to see Parmakowski skiing well and uh, yeah I thought the women's relay was like I mean it it looked like an individual start. Like you were just watching an individual start because it was blown out all over the place, but that that's because of Frida Carlson. So which was an incredible performance, but I do want to talk about, because this is actually kind of important. I'm glad we have about like nine minutes or something before Tony's going to join us. You know, we got the explanation why the American women didn't start. And you can just tell us like, why, how come we didn't see any American women start this relay? Yeah. Um, I mean, Man, this is a tough one, right? Uh, so, so we 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 asked what the story was. There, there, there was a DNS from the American women, and and you know, I mean, I think the context here, in in some ways, being like the relay for the American women has like historically been somewhat of a marquee event, where you know you've got the relay socks and the glitter. I will say, if you check social media today, like Ben Ogden had like half of his mustache dyed blue and half of it dyed red, which simultaneously I would say like hats off and never again. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, we heard from the U.S. coaching staff that um, Rosie Brennan and, and Jesse Diggins had finished the tour to ski a couple weeks ago, which is, as everyone knows, a grueling effort and had raced twice this weekend and felt like it was not the most advisable thing for them to start the relay. And so we saw no U.S. women in the relay. And you know what, Devin, I, I got to say, I mean, I think there is a part of me that's like, that sucks. 
they should suck it up and race the relay. But on the flip side of that is like, for what purpose? And, and I think like Jesse and Rosie both have given American fans and the American ski community so much this year already to get stoked about. And I think, you know, they know what's best for them. Uh, the coaches know what's best for them. Um, I don't see like a specific relay performance being like a difference maker in like, it's not like NBC sports is going to run it live if they got second or third. And I think it's a hard call and I'm sure it was hard for them. And again, in some ways it's like, what is the point of having a team if you're not going to race the team event? But I think I, I fall on the side of like, you got to do what's, what and and they've got like this huge American World Cup coming up in just a few weeks now, and it's like you know you gotta you gotta make tough choices like that, and you know they they gotta know that when Devin Kershaw and Nat Hurst find out about this and start like chucking rocks at them on their on their huge podcast that the entire ski community listens to, like they're gonna they're gonna be you know taking it a little bit. So you know that that's a, that's a tough call. I, I don't know. What do you think? I know you know what this might come to a surprise for the listeners, but I I kind of come down on the same the same side as you, honestly. But I think again, like people that have listened to us banter long enough, the criticism you're going to hear from me is like goes to fist. I mean, I think what's sad about these distance relays is on the World Cup because I think the relay still holds a lot of magic. Not a lot of like not a little like it holds a ton of magic at the championship. Because it is a way, it's a marquee way to kind of highlight your dominance in the sport for your country and put the four best males or the four best women together on this historic event and and battle with other countries for championship glory, Olympics or world championships. But on the World Cup, with this schedule kind of ballooning, almost like the NFL, like, you know, like adding more games, at like, like when it's already grueling enough. These kind of things are going to happen and they've happened now for the last few years. I mean, like I was teammates with Alex. I kind of wish he was on here for this to defend himself. But I mean, it was a big problem in our team. There was some years where Alex would just like deprioritize some relays if he didn't think we had a chance. I mean, that was his that was his uh, standpoint was like, yeah, we don't have a chance with the team that's starting. So I'm just going to sit this one out and rest up because I do every single race in the World Cup. He got a lot of blowback from uh, from the team on that. But I mean, again, like you have to take care of your energy. Clebo has done this as well lately, recently. And of course, got some blowback from that. And on the on the flip side, you can't really compare what's happening with these American women and, and the Norwegians because it, it's so goddamn hard to make the Norwegian relay team that that people are super, super stoked to do it, even if it is hard for their energies. Like Amundsen, for example, who got who won the World Cup relay today. Uh, he was just so thrilled to get a chance to do the relay for Norway. And you're like, what, buddy? Like, you just, you won the tour to ski? Like, what are you talking about? Of course you're going to do the relay. But you got to recall that this is a guy who's had individual medals at the World Championships and not gotten a start in the relay. So this, it does loom a little heavier, perhaps, on, on some of the big European nations. That said, it, it is, of course, it's always sad not to see a powerhouse like the American women have been not start the relay. But I lay the blame with fists in the scheduling. I mean, if you really want to have depth of field and more teams competing and and make a story out of this, then then you're going to have to kind of look at the schedule a little deeper and understand that your marquee players, a la Jesse Diggins or Rosie Brennan, that do every single race 
you're going to put three weekend, three races in a weekend in, in Oberhof with the 20 K the day before that sort of thing. Um, and then the last race is going to be a relay. And like we talked about no world cup points, there's nothing really kind of like on the line for these relays um, except for like a bit of bragging rights. But even that, like we talked about, it's the championship where it matters most. It, you're going to see decisions like this. Uh, Jesse's leading the world. No one's going to touch Jesse. We talked about that. She's sealed up the overall world cup. It's over. She can like essentially not start the rest of the season. That's not true, but she'd have to start, but she could be raced to 20th in every race for the rest of the season and win the overall world cup. So that's signed, sealed and delivered. Whereas Rosie, you know, like she's in a battle for the top three and finishing top three in the overall world cup is a humongous deal, a humongous deal, especially for an athlete like Rosie. And, you know, if she feels that her energy is just kind of like a, feels a bit on fumes or she's not quite back from, from the big effort of the tour to ski. I mean, Jesse was unstoppable at the tour to ski let's recall, but, but Rosie was, you know, kind of yo-yoing around. Like she had some phenomenal races and she had some races where you're just like holding your collar, watching, like she's barely hanging on to some like solid efforts. So of course you got to support them and I support them 100%. I just think it's, um, I think, yeah, I lay the blame with fists. And then I also think that like, then it's important to not speak out of two sides of your mouth of the team as well to just get out in front of it. Not that, that they were, they're required to do this, but the coaches can take this as a criticism and say, listen, world cup relays are a B event for us when we are chasing down top threes in the overall world cup. And that's fair. Like just come out and say it. No one, everyone's going to support you. Everyone's going to wave the flag and blow the like kazoos and let's go USA. But um, the reality is when you make decisions like that, the signal is, is what it is. And it's like, these world cup relays really don't mean that much to us when we're chasing something bigger and they are chasing something bigger. So hats off to them and good luck. And it was the right decision. I mean, there's no question. Yeah. Well, it'd be one thing if we were talking world championships or Olympics. So, um, well, that'd be a scandal. Like, let's be perfectly yeah. frank that that would be a 100% scandal. If you're, if you're skipping a championship relay for some individual races, when there's only six of them at the champion or sorry, there's not six individual races, only four uh, individual races at the championship. When, when you've kind of done the relay socks and the glitter and the whole deal. I mean, I think, I, th I think we, would be, I mean, I promise you this, I would be singing a totally different song, but, but the fact of the matter is for some of these teams that are a little thinner um, than the powerhouses that is Sweden or, or Norway, like, Jesse and Rosie have to take care of their individual energy and, and skipping a B event. Let's call it what it is. World cup relays in distance. Sadly, that's why that's what I'm kind of pushing for like be a lot more fun. And I guess my perspective is individual gendered relays on the world cup do without them, like just cut them and then have, like have, mixed have mixed relay. genders, have mixed, yeah. have a mixed relay cool, where you have two right? men, two men, yeah. two women, and let's go. And then teams can have two. I think it would even be more fun, right? Like, think about Norway, too, with a mixed gender relay, or Sweden, too. I mean, they're almost just as good. And uh, even the U.S., right? Like, you could have you could have some amazing, amazing competitions, and then it kind of could could breathe some life into this, uh, well, breathe some life into this relay, this World Cup relay situation, because it's just, it's not good, man. It's it's not a it's not a good program. It's not a good event. And when you watch biathlon, like I watch, I know you follow biathlon as well. Like, you can't compare it. Like, there's no nations doing this. There's no excitement. Top athletes are missing. It, it's like the World Cup relay, gendered relays as they are now. It's a uh, 
man, the dumpster's on fire. It's, it's not in the sea yet, but it's going down a slope towards the sea on fire. And once it hits the sea, it's done. And so I think it's, I, I think it's important. We, we think about it as a, as a ski community. My suggestion is, is mixed relay. And if that doesn't do the trick, maybe we even uh, give everyone a biathlon rifle and see how, uh, <laughs> yeah, how exactly. cross country skiers do. Yeah. So one other thing, uh, while we're waiting for these tardy, uh, Canadians to arrive is uh, there. I heard a little bit um, and curious sort of what you saw on the broadcast about like the fans, like Friday, there were these shots of the stands in Oberhof, which is like uh, this central German. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. East German. Uh, well, former, <laughs> former, former East German, but oh, it's, yeah. like, sort of cent- it's like in the middle of the oh, country. Sorry. Right? Yeah, and, okay. And, I'll uh, give it to you. I'll give it to you. And, sorry, I've been there a lot. There's like, there were these shots of the stands and like completely vacant. Um, and, and I, you know, there were fans along the trails and I, I was not paying as much attention. I, like I definitely watched yesterday and I, it didn't strike me one way or the other, but like, man, a little bit of a bummer to see that, like with the, with those German women, like, and the German men being as strong as they have been too. Here's some pushback. The relay today the women's relay was jammed with fans for the not bathlon jammed because Oberhof is a huge bathlon venue. And then it's just pandemonium every time bathlon comes there and cross country. Yeah. We got half the fans, but let's be honest, cross country skiing is pretty weak sauce compared to bathlon as far as a winter sport for fans, for fans, as far as fans are concerned, but it was amazing uh, to see the fans in the women's relay. And then half of them left before the men started. It was like a scandal. It was amazing. But you know, it is not a scandal. The Prince of Quebec has joined, uh, joined the podcast, which is, which is great. Hi, right. hey, everybody. Hey, Kirsch. Hey, dude. Is Antoine there? I, I can't, I, I don't see you. No, yeah, but Tony's not here yet, but we're waiting okay, on Tony okay, okay. to be here. But he's, okay, he's, sweet. This, 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 was a request, to... this was a request thought... from Tony that the Prince of Quebec comes on because he wants, you know, I think he likes to get his tires pumped up by the greatest Canadian skier of all time, I guess. But maybe well, he needs that. Stop coming by the, by the two, think about the two greatest. How about that? Exactly, yeah. Tony. Yeah, stop coming eight. Let's <laughs> get some podiums. <laughs> The two greatest Canadian skiers of all time and the greatest skier of 2709 West 31st uh, Avenue in uh, Anchorage. I also would add, based on, Devin, your prior comments today, that I feel like uh, we have to only refer to him as Tony Boy at this point, just as, you know, to really put him in his place. So, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, he's coming on in. He's coming on in, in uh, five minutes, but we can just get into the sprint, especially with Alex here. I don't well, know if wait, you want. Or, or actually, you Alex. you steer the ship. You steer the ship because this is going to be a classic DKS clusterfuck. We <laughs> had so many people clapping, <laughs> so and, somebody's got to moderate it. And and we need. I I just think we need like a little bit more of a of a professional, graceful introduction to you know. Can we get some detail on greatest Canadian skier of all time, Alex Harvey from? his partner, partner, world champion partner in crime, Devin Kershaw, please. Thank you. Yeah. Well, people that have listened to this hunk of junk know, um, know the stat line of, of Alex Harvey, who joined, who joins this podcast with us to talk with Tony Sear, who's coming on soon. But of course, like Alex Harvey, 50 K world champion, uh, top three in the overall world cup multiple times. How many World Cup wins do you have? Like fifteen? I don't know. Too many. No, no. I, think, uh, I, I don't think I've not fifteen. I don't not think 15, I have more than. Like, th- I think I have about 
30 World Cup podiums. I think wins. it's like 36 or something. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's not yeah, even close. It's, it's not even it's close. Hard, it's hard with, with stage. And yeah, now, exactly. are you counting like pursuit, individual time on pursuit? Yeah, no, time. It, 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 it's, you know, it's exactly. around 30, 30 ish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But regardless, yeah. the, the next yeah. best. Uh, on the list is Becky and I on the World Cup circuit with like 14 or 15 podiums on the World Cup each. Um, so Becky Scott, that is Olympic champion in 2002. So when you're doubling, when you're more than doubling the second best on the stats line, it's safe to say Alex Harvey is by far the best Canadian skier that ever lived. So we're happy to have him on on this, uh, whatever whatever this is that we're doing that. As we are, we're always happy to have Alex join us. Thanks for for the introduction. It's always nice to have your, uh, you know, your uh, self esteem pumped up like that. So thanks. <laughs> well, um, Alex uh, retired. I fully fully um, qualified attorney lawyer now. So do you even have time to watch ski racing these days? If so, like, yeah. There was a yeah. spring Friday. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, of course we 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 actually watch it. My wife and I. So interesting story. My wife comes from alpine skiing. Like her family, her dad was traveling as a, a team doctor with the alpine ski alpine ski team back in the days. Uh, her brother and her raced the you know the provincial and national circuit. And when we started dating, she said she 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 skied once or twice, like in school, in like a physical, like at, in a class sort of, and cross-country ski and she didn't like it so she told me she'd never cross-country ski because it was lame at all and now she's out for a cross-country ski right now this is why if my daughter wakes up from her nap i'll have to disconnect and she cross-country skis much more than uh, expected and uh, so during the weekends during bre at breakfast we actually watch uh nordic racing and now this year with the fist channel on youtube it's pretty easy we don't need to use a, a vpn and try to watch on NRK. Now it's not on NRK anymore. Sometime on, on YLE, Finnish television, or even more uh, television from countries whose language is even harder to understand than Finnish. Uh, I didn't think it was possible, but I guess it happened. So yeah, we do watch races for Friday for the sprint. Uh, I didn't watch it on Friday morning because I was I was working, but uh, we watched it on Friday evening. Uh, and I, I thought it was pretty exciting. Um, the, the women's side... This year, it seems like you can. It's a safe bet to expect a Swedish woman to to win. Um, uh, but on the men's side, you know, having Klebo out in the semis, uh, it's always a. It's hard to remember when's the la when the last time that happened, especially in a classic sprint without you know a, a broken pole. Actually, the last time it happened, I think I might have been in the race, and I think that's what allowed me to be on the podium in, in Lillehammer in my last season on the World Cup. In 2019, like I don't know if Label missed the final since. Maybe I'm wrong, but anyway, but he broke a pole in the semis back then. So th this time around in Oberhof, you know, Klebo being out skied by two of his country country mate that that was a, uh, you know, that was exciting from from an outside perspective. I'm sure it was a big bummer for him, um, and it's impressive to see Valnes like how you know how every year he keeps improving and he's like. Yeah, he's really dominating the scene this year. That that's no surprise that he has the the red bib as the the World Cup leader for sprinting. Um, bit of a bummer for for Tony Boy to to get tangled up a bit in this quarter, but I think he 
he used it as, as extra motivation the next day. And yeah, just the, the Swedish woman I talked about it. it it's it's never a surprise to see them to see one of them winning. But anytime you sweep the podium, no matter what, no matter what anybody will say, like that's a big accomplishment for a program. And the Swedish woman. I've talked about it a lot. I think every time I come on this podcast, but it's really impressive to see how good they are and how, how much depth they have. Like when, you know, Sinling misses part of the, I mean, she, she was amazing the, the, this weekend, but it, when she misses part of the season, there's other girls coming to the, to the rescue. Uh, Frida Carlson, like meddling in a sprint final for, I mean, it's, and she was strong all day, like third in the qualifier. Uh, skied really smart, like over the last little, steep kicker like she, she was kind of side by side with Svan and she just let Svan take the lead and it's like she didn't even think of switching lane to fight for the win because she knows Svan was going so fast she was just sort of using the draft but yeah pretty impressive skiing from her and Svan uh, again so, sort of the same as Valmez but it's no surprise to see her in, in the red bib as the sprint world cup leader for sprint for uh yeah for sprinting uh, she, she's so dominant this year Uh, coming back from injury uh, and just a, another huge, huge talent from Sweden, but that's been really well developed. And now you can see how good she's skiing in distance. So overall, pretty exciting, I think, for the day. And But the big highlight for me was that over the years, like we, we back in the days, the Tour de Ski would always start in Oberhof and it was just horrendous conditions, like brown snow. Some years we'd have to warm up in the ski tunnel Because there was only two kilometers of snow to ski on, and it was used for whatever was the women's race uh, racing before us, or the earlier bibs and the men's men's race. So now, like Bluebird, perfect skiing, especially for classic. Like it looked like awesome skiing, at least from my point of view on just on television. Uh, so good to see that Oberhof can have those those nice winter sunny days, snow in the trees looked like there's a decent amount of natural snow it's probably i'm assuming they're raced on man-made still but you know it's good to see that in, in central europe i think it's good for the industry and uh germany is a big market for skiing so it's good to have some some quality racing there it, it was it was funny because i think you know we heard actually quite a bit from it was either the weekend before or a couple weekends before they had a biathlon world cup there and it was like a nightmare it the, you know the the trail was like half rocks and teams were basically saying you know we ruined entire fleets of skis i think there was one of the cross-country team leaders that was like we don't want to go there this is a nightmare i also remember oberhof is like one of the few european venues that i've been to like i think it was the 2011 tour to ski and exactly as you just, i mean they get rain there all the time it's like you know fog at ground level you feel like stalin is just about to jump out of the woods with a hammer and sickle you're just like this is not you know the the warm fuzzy friendly place um so it just was like this weird magic uh transformation that one one thing from the sprint i i wanted to um highlight and and i think you know we'll, we can get into the um women's distance race too was like the sharpness that frida carlson had this weekend like i think we've seen Her and Abba Anderson, you know, we talk about sickness. Both of them have really struggled with that this winter. And like, we have not seen Frida Carlson at the level she was at this past weekend, which was really just 
annihilation. And um, I'm not like a in really informed member of the Technique peanut gallery, but was watching uh, the race yesterday with friends who included some some retired but legit ski coaches who were just pointing out that, you know, particularly her double pull was looking sensational. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's nice to see her like fully back into form after some ups and downs. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. She skis really well, especially in classic. I mean, if I was her coach and it's easy to say I'm like a, a bench bench coach now, or just like a couch coach sort of. I would shorten her poles by like three and a half centimeters, both skating classic. But other than that, I think her technique is, is pretty much uh, perfect. And uh, it's good. I agree with you. It's, I mean, I think she's, she's a really big, big talent. Like a lot of people were calling her the new Yohog, especially when she actually beat Yohog in a 30 K classic in Holman Colon a uh, few years back. Um, and I think that comes with a lot of pressure. Uh, her mom was a, a pretty successful skier as well. Uh, so in, in, in a Scandinavian country, like, like it is in Norway, like it is in Sweden, it comes with a lot of pressure. And when you're a young skier, it, it's not easy to handle all, all that pressure, but she's really uh, developing well. And uh, it's going to be exciting to see uh, the rest of the season, how it goes uh, for her. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good. And, and just to loop back again in, on, on the men's side, like we, I didn't talk about it, but Ben Ogden, like making the final, uh, you know, after qualifying third, uh, just Ben is a really young skier still. And it's really good to see him bounce after illness, like falling hill uh, during the tour. I'm sure he was really bummed out because he had, everybody knows he had his, his first podium there and, and a sprint. Uh, so bouncing back from illness like that, back in the final, uh, just another really, really solid day. And the Swiss, like Valerio Grand, he's, he's sort of, he, he's same age as, I mean, same bird here as, as Ben, like another final for him this year. Like he's, Switzerland, they hired a few of the, the French staff, uh, French coaches who, who kind of built the, the, the French program for sprinting. And it's, it's it, I think it's starting to show, to pay dividends. Like they, they're really solid in sprinting and with, a guy like Valerio Grand, like it's ex exciting to see him fighting it with the Norwegians in, in a final every now and then. So uh, it's good for the sport because when you look at the result list, it's still one to four is still Norway. So I was talking that it's impressive to have a podium suite in, in the women with Sweden, but Norway did the same again for the men's. And as impressive as it is, it's sadly not a good news for the for our sport to have such dominance like that but uh it's it's for the other countries to, to get better definitely not the top countries to try to slow down before we uh, i totally agree before we loop tony joined us which is great but before we loop him in because uh tony joined us just in the middle of a conversation here about the sprint day and well of course we're, we want to hear from tony that's the whole point of inviting him but it's not every day we get to hear the the perspective of the prince of quebec before you jumped on, Alex, I was really singing the praises of Lynn Swan's technique. I just can't get over how good she's classic skiing these days. And of course, I'm glad you also brought up Frida Carlson. I agree with you with the pole lengths. Like, I don't know what's going on there. They must be right on the legal limit because those things are tall. But that said, I, I've never seen her double pole as good as she did, like you guys were talking about. So I just wanted to agree with that. But I, I wanted to get your perspective a little bit on Lynn Swan's technique because 
I think for young skiers and especially like some of the young Americans, the Canadians, there's not a single Canadian that's anywhere close on the women's side to skiing like Lynn Swan skiing, but it's just incredible. You were this too. And not to give you more, you don't need your ego stroked any more than it already has been, but, but you in skating in like one skating, like, like you were the best in the world at it. And I just wanted to hear your perspective a little bit about like what you think of Lynn Swan's technique and then how much of it kind of, if you can get to that level of prowess, like how much of an advantage that is, like how, how much are you saving when you're skiing like Lynn Spawn is skiing in these sprints and, and in classic, especially these days? No, I think you're, you're saving a lot of energy, a lot of power, especially in, in the earlier rounds when you're, you can kind of control the pace and really leave a lot of, you know, a lot of throttle, like you're leaving a lot under the foot, you know, you're not going full throttle. You just because of your technique efficiency. Uh, but I think any skier that is in like peak form will look like he's skiing. Not any, but a lot of skiers that are in like really good shape will look like they're skiing so well because you're in control. Things are moving slower around you. You have more time to react. And I think right now, Lance Vaughn is just in, in great form. So, so that helps a lot. And it, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, I'm gonna, not have the, the the perfect phrase for that, but I think it's Thomas Altgard who was saying like, you train if you train well, you're gonna have good power, and if you have good power, you're gonna have good technique. And right now, like Lynn Vaughn has so much power that her technique, her hips are in the right position. I mean, every time they need to, her her upper body, the shoulders, like they're relaxed, or uh, you know, the form and in double pulling, everything is there because. She has that extra power, and she doesn't need to go full throttle until whenever she, until the, the final few hundred meters because she, she can control the, the race. So, uh, but all that being said, uh, there are some athletes that even in peak condition cannot have a technique that is as as smooth and as powerful as as Lens Fawn. So there's obviously a lot of work behind that, and I think we we talked a bit about before about that. But technique, in in my opinion it's important to do video work analysis and all of that. But one of the best way to improve your technique is, is to be stronger in the gym and not, not necessarily like stronger for like leg press or chin ups, but like core and hip, hip strength and core, everything starts from there. Everything finishes there. So when you can be strong in your course and really like strong in your glutes and your hips, it's going to go so far. Uh, it's going to help you so far for your technique and uh, I mean, I've never seen Lynn's fun train, but I'm assuming she's she's training well in, in the gym to, to be able to have technique. So it's not about lifting big weights, but it's uh, it's about it's functional movement and functional strength. And, and, and I'm assuming she's doing a lot of that. So now can well, we hear about Tony? What does Tony maybe Tony saw her training in the gym? Hey, what's up, everyone? <laughs> Yeah, sorry about uh, being late to the meeting. Um, yeah, super shitty Wi-Fi here, so hopefully you hear me well, and yeah, it's good. But no, I haven't seen Linz Vaughn in the gym, and I wouldn't want to see Linz Vaughn in the gym. She's probably a beast in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember seeing Yohog in the gym doing, like, some TRX and some core, and I I'd usually wait for her to leave before I'd go do my core exercises because it was kind of... <laughs> 
kind of a bit of a being a, a bit ashamed of myself comparing my strength to hers <laughs> word word alex i've trained strength with i've like i've done strength workouts with terezio I, I could not do the exercises like i couldn't even do them and she was like heckling me she's like come on like no you got to just get your hips forward and then like you like contract your lower abs i'm like teresa i'm not even close like i'm not even close to this yeah. so i i feel your pain there yeah. But it's really awesome to have you join us, uh, Antoine Sear, Tony, Tony Boy in the house. Um, you know, I got to one... finish with this one thing, though. Like, hey, please. You, you, you got to give it to the Swedes. Like, every race weekend we go to, if we're staying in the same hotel, like, you go to the gym to do maybe, like, some activation or something like that, and they're always one of them in there doing core or like a strength workout is never like like super heavy stuff but it's always yeah they're always in the gym so yeah hats off to them they train well i think nice well, we yeah that's something that's training. something that i started doing more like in the second half of my career but strength training in the winter like if you lose too much like too much strength during the winter by doing only racing interval training and long distance training your technique will suffer and especially your kick at the end of a race. So it's, it's something I think that's kind of a developed, developed in our sport in, in the last maybe 10 years now. Uh, but it, it, so you, you see strong, big countries like having yeah a lot of it, putting a lot of emphasis on for strength training in the winter. Uh, so it's, I'm sure Tony, you do that because we have the same coach and you had me do a bunch of hard strength in, in the winter. So you probably still do. Okay, well, I, I I need to do uh, a a proper introduction of uh, Anton Tony Boy Sear, and I just I want to I want to be very clear uh, that this is not this is not my nickname, but we are uh, we're we're gonna take take the lead from uh, you know the the king of non French Canadian Canada here. Um, Tony uh, has. Uh, been on uh, obviously he is he's is de Quebec uh he, he has been on the world cup circuit for the past few years and has uh I you know I, I can't actually say offhand like maybe what your best result has been Tony but I know like I personally I, for, okay fourth I think that was in Val de Fiamme last year and um also, you know, I have personally witnessed at uh, at the Olympics and World Championships, uh, Tony having been part of some some team events that where these guys have just like skied completely outside of themselves and thrown down some really epic results, including I, I very vivid memories last year of him skiing with I think Graham Ritchie uh, in the World Championship team sprint in in Slovenia where they finished fourth place and. Uh, Tony is, I'm looking here, 25 years old, if I don't have that wrong. So, you know, uh, you you have a, a few years to start regularly, you know, getting on the podium um, before before we, you know, stop calling you like, you know, the 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 young future of Canada. But for now, we'll 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 leave it at that and just say we're psyched to to have you join us uh, for for the not the first time here on the Devin Kershaw show. Yeah, thanks for for having me hosting the 
the Quebec edition of uh, Devin Kershaw show <laughs> is once a year is going to happen. I come on here uh, with Arv and our uh, unbelievable French accent. <laughs> yeah. Do you, you want to give us, uh, I, I think uh, we'd, we'd love to hear a little bit about the, the, the two individual races that, uh, that you raced in this, this past weekend and just how that went for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, always like, yeah, like you guys know, like after the tour, sometimes it's, it's hard to know where your shape is. And it's always like after big events like this year, there's no championship or game. So I feel like the tour was for some, like the, the big, the big objective of the year. And so it was for me, I was aiming for tour and then for sure home world cup in Kenmore. Um, I'll try to be in good shape for that. So yeah, it's always like a gamble. You don't know where the shape is. You just race super, super hard for um, seven days in the tour or not like over nine days. But um, yeah, normally I react well to the to to racing so much. And yeah, I had a little bit of rest time with uh, my parents were over for a part of the tour and then they stayed um, for four days after. So I got a little bit of vacation and then, yeah, I'm big. I like, I always loved racing for me. It's the part in between that is like quite boring. So yeah, I was super excited to be in Oberhof first time here too. Um, I think for you guys, it must be 2009 in, in the tour actually, maybe no, maybe I'm mistaken. Yeah, no, we actually, we actually 2014, 2014, 2014 we, we were one, one and two, two, baby. One, two, baby. <laughs> Shake and bake. Shake and bake. Yeah, well, I, I, I didn't know. We, we didn't do one, two in, in Oberhof this time, but yeah, still still some good race. Um, Yeah, sprint for me is always um qualifying. That's the hard part. Then in the heat, I feel like um on a good day, I can play a bit more and be more confident. So I was 24th in the qualifier and then, um yeah the heat was just really not good uh, on friday yeah uh just, we've been struggling with a couple of things and um yeah weekend after weekend and we struggled with it again on on friday but then yeah like such a good way to to come back from friday um i was the only one qualifying and then on the next day 20k mass start the course i don't know if it's the same course but it's, it's fun course like kind of biathlon style so like steep pitches like fast downhill and then repeat um yeah it's a good course for me it's the the pace which was weird this year didn't happen in many races but the pace seemed like high from the start but also not like super super crazy um but yeah I managed to stay in there and then yeah I came in eighth um in, in a group to the to the finish line uh for sure something i gotta learn from devin and alex because uh, i think i've been struggling to like make plays for myself and in, in finals like that um i know i have the capacity i've got the finish too but sometimes like yeah it's it's yeah people aren't gonna just hand you a podium right you you gotta work hard for it and um, yeah, I've been struggling a little bit in like sticking in the front and like 
staying in there to really position myself for the for the finish but I think it was a really good race for me and probably one of the yeah I, I'd say my second best of all year I felt good all the way to the end so yeah I was super stoked and then and then of course today was um yeah team event uh so I don't know you you guys haven't done team events so far we can talk about the relay later yeah yeah we did we we, we covered the relay but we can might touch on that a little later but you did say something that's kind of two things that were interesting and i'd like to get alex's perspective too but tony if you can answer first like so i talked to some of the guys too that raced that 20k um and they said the same thing they said they said like wow the the first couple laps like the pace felt like you know like pretty like oh my god are we going to continue this for six laps like are we going to drill it like this and then and then they said like yeah like it kind of died and then it was like pretty comfortable like when your group got down to about like 25 skiers then it seemed like it seemed like the whole group kind of decided like, okay, I guess we're just going to position ourselves for the, for the last lap. And even in that last lap, at least from a spectator side of things, like you saw how people were positioning and people were trying a few different things and like Volnes, I mean, he was in the driver's seat. He's so strong in that last hundred meters. So that played right into his hand. But uh, at the same time, you what you were saying is about positioning. And this is where I want to get Alex's uh, perspective on it. But like for sure that's going to come with experience so don't beat yourself up like when like i've said so many times if you're top 10 on the world cup you're an elite you're you're that's you're elite man like that's uh you're one of the best skiers in the world and when you're there it's a lot easier to get that top rung of the ladder if you're only two rungs down instead of like jumping for the first rung and like sliding off it so you're you're right there knocking on the door but it's an interesting thing with tactics Alex I don't know if you saw Poroma but he essentially opened the account on that sprint like he was the one that made the last kind of move and and that's exactly what Stenshagen did in the relay and it secured a podium for Stenshagen but in the 20k Poroma opening the account on that on that sprint shattered him and he got the doors blown off him and ended up seventh just ahead of you Tony so so I before you answer tony maybe we'll get the perspective of alex about like what tony's talking about about positioning positioning like having the confidence to know where to be in a in a tactical race where the pace is pretty low for for tony for a guy who's an elite yeah. level not uh yeah what's your perspective there alex yeah well just to to follow up first i think on the pace changes it seemed like and you could see it in the women's race because jesse would come from behind in the down it was like it seemed like it was like perfect classic conditions. So kind of a coldish snow. So following, even when you're not directly in the draft, the track speeds up like that in classic when like 10 skiers go by quickly in the same track. So the snow speeds up when you're following. So I'm, I'm sure that guys like Evo Niskanen or like the big engines who would try to break the pack early would just get pissed off of opening little gaps on the uphills and on the flats and just getting everybody closing back in the downhill, the next downhill, just because the, the snow would speed up for the, the later guys. So, so I think that's, that's why one of the reasons, at least why it, it turned to be a, a more tactical race, especially for the, for the second half. And then for the, for the sprint positioning, uh, you know, it's Oberhof, it's such a long stretch, like a long stretch home that I don't think you want to be first heading into that little downhill and then into that stretch, and I don't know, I, I could, I, I couldn't see like the the flags from the biathlon range. Maybe Tony will help us. Like if it was a headwind into the finish, then it's 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 
even a bigger advantage to to come from second, third, or even fourth in in that finishing stretch. So um, yeah, but Paroma at the same time, like when he looked left and right uh, going up that little steep kicker, he probably saw guys you know bi- like big strong double polar like Valnes. So he's like, man, my chances to if I want to take this or or at least be on the podium, like I have to hit it first and then try to 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 stay. To, to survive the stretch. So I, I can see why he did that, but it's uh, yeah, it's a long, long stretch. And, y- you know, it's even if the pace feels for the top guys, for the elites, like you say, it's kind of easier and e- easy ish for the last 10 or 5k, you still have the fatigue of, of a, a 20 kilometer effort. And, and even if you win zone three, like, so when you're really shifting to go like all out like that, you don't have like, a full like 45 second burst in you maybe you have a 10 15 second burst and and that stretch uh in Oberhof is is closer to a 45 second stretch and a 15 second stretch so you you have to, to save the power for the the very last meters yeah it's, it's also quite it's been windy here so that for sure explain um i i think the change of pace and what jesse was doing for sure is um, and also the it was like big headwind into the finish. So um, just like today, today was also big headwind into the finish. So yeah, sure. Leading the downhill was yeah not the smartest move from Paroma, uh, especially when you're lining up against like big hitters on on double pull. Um, but yeah, no, it's yeah the 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 finish here is man in the in the sprint you could see. Like, I don't know if you guys covered the sprint uh, already. I, I Yeah, because I think I just arrived at the end. But yeah, on the sprint, like in the quality, like we were standing up so early to start like the finish. And you could see like right away, like some teams this year, especially with the fluor band, have been like nailing this ski weekend and week out. Um, like the Swiss, the Swiss have been having like the most insane skis. Um light on the kick this weekend but like for sure like for them it, it helped so much like going into the finish they just carried so much speed compared to the to the others but yeah no that the finish is so long like you get gassed by the end like until you get to like the last 25 meters um and yeah you saw Paroma just like straight legged and he had like a just straight back as well, just bending over like 90 degrees. Like, you know, the guy is, is popped when he, when you start skin like that. I mean, I ski like that quite a bit, but. Uh-huh. <laughs> you used style. to, you used to ski like that, but now you're skiing good. I have a quick question though, Tony, like in later in the stages of the races, did you think like a guy like Amundsen or Klebo was like kind of playing with the pack or did, could you see that they're like, they're not having the best day? Cause I mean, they finished, you know, 14th, 17th, like they were not players like you were uh, in that final, like did that cross your mind or were you so in the moment that you weren't thinking about the, the yellow bib or a guy like Klebo who you would imagine like when a race is playing, like it did, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, Klebo's going to win that, like taking his pull straps off. And, and he was, he was well back. And I was just curious. I noticed that late in the race that, that both those names specifically um, were just like not, trying to play for position they just weren't in it I, I was just curious if you noticed that at all yeah for sure like 
Man, I like I feel bad for the guy. I think he really got wrecked over Christmas by uh, the cold or the corona. I don't know what he got. I think the flu. But um, yeah, like I was, I was like I saw Licky pink poles and like his Smith glasses. He had his buff, and I was like, fuck, like is that is that Claybo? Like I like I legit didn't recognize him because normally. He for sure like he uses his ski super well and like he skis the downhill and he sticks like staying out of trouble in the front and people are making space for him. Um, but this time around, like when it narrowed down to the 25, yeah, he didn't like to me, it did not look like Clebo. And like I had to look twice once I skin right beside him. And like I looked twice, I was like, oh man, like, yeah, maybe he's not the guy to follow today. And um for Amundsen, I think it's just not his type of course because uh, I think he's still in super good shape, man. Amundsen, he's good buddy of mine. He's like super awesome and um, he's same age. Like we raced at World Juniors together, and um, yeah, he, he. I think it's, it's it's hard to tell. I think he's still in good shape. Maybe it was a mix of like light kick maybe not the best skis and also like a classic course that doesn't necessarily suits him the best. Um, yeah, it was hard to say. And yeah, for the pace, like as soon as it narrowed down to the group of 25, because of the headwind, um, the guys like Niskanen would hit the front and would gradually like start going faster and faster and faster. But by the time we hit a headwind, then everything would just come back together. So like, yeah, it's, it's hard to make splits. Like, I even thought about going in the front towards the end and be like, put some pace, but then I felt it wasn't, it wasn't the place for a little Canadian to go in the front and just drill it in a headwind, you know, I think is also not smart. Um, but yeah, no, I was surprised by those guys. Yeah, uh, not getting the best race for Playboy. I think it's just coming back into shape, so. I did have a question again, Alex can lead us off. Like, uh, let's just talk about the women's race a little bit before you jumped on Tony, we were singing the praises of Frida Carlson. Like she was, she was back. I mean, she looked so good in that, in that 20 K classic and yeah, like out double pulling people into that headwind. It was impressive, but like, Alex, do you want to just like, what are some comments you saw from the, from the women's 10 20 K? No, I mean, he said it like Frida Carlson was, uh, was really strong and it's uh it's funny to see that like things even though like we've been out of the the sport for many years like things don't change like a guy like Niskanen is so strong but you end up getting pissed off and frustrated when you're trying and you see that you're not making enough damage so you, you kind of ease up and then in the end if you're not the type of guy who has the best kick in the in the finish like you, you kind of you, you lose a you lose a podium spot but no Frida was you know, for you know, for how good and how, how talented and everything, and how big of a personality she is, like she still doesn't have that many World Cup wins. So you know, anytime you, you win a World Cup, uh, it, it's a big, it's a big result. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge result actually. Um, so I, I think that's off to her. Um, and yeah, like, like I mean, it was a huge group for the for the men's. Uh, for for the women's like it, they stayed they stayed in a pack 
a little bit as well. Uh, but but like we said, uh, she was she was second in the sprint, and I'm sure she brought up that gave her a a lot of confidence uh, heading into Saturday's mass start, and then heading into the last lap with a few girls around her. Uh, she, she must have had the confidence to know that if she can ski Lens Vaughn off her tails, then she's going to be able to to out sprint anybody else in the pack. Uh, so so yeah, it was good to see. And the German girls, like, I don't know. I was going to ask Tony too. Like, like Henning is in second. That's not a big surprise anymore because she's really like lifted her game. But I mean, Victoria Carl in fourth has had such a great season. And and then the Americans, I mean, sixth and 10th. I don't know if you talked with Jesse or Rosie, but like, again, like back in the top 10. And I don't know what this, I don't know what, what kind of the vibe is on the World Cup right now. Well, I guess I kind of do because I wasn't, it's not so long since I was around you guys. But, but just like, I feel like the women's side of things, especially on the distance, it's exciting. Like there's a lot of different nations that are competing. Uh, Norway is struggling. I mean, like Heidi Wang is the best and back in eighth place. Um, but there's just like a lot of names competing and it makes for kind of like an exciting environment. But is that something that's still continuing? Do you kind of have, do you feel that energy or like talking with some of the women on, on the World Cup circuit? Or is that something you don't notice too much? Yeah, yeah, actually, like on the day of the race prep um, in Oberhof, like from the stadium to the wax truck, you got to go up some stairs. And I was walking with uh, Henning. It was actually like one of the first time I was talking to her. She like asked a couple of questions and then I was like, oh, like you must be stoked, like 20K classic here. And it's, it's great to see because in the man, like the guys around like the circuit, you, you like you watch norway walking around like the wax like area and stuff they're they're walking in like the <laughs> maybe i can't say this on here but like they're walking in with the the big dicks in the locker room you know like they own own the place um but in the girls it's so different like you look at everyone and it's like at the buffet you're like every girl is just like on top of their game and it seems like it's open you know like Okay, for sure, Jessie has like kind of been dominating, especially at the tour. She's like such a good shape and she's been just all over the top five, top ten all season. But yeah, it's it's open. Like Victoria Carl has been like having such good races. Um, and she's impressive too. Like sometimes, like only towards the end of the race, she like makes crazy comeback. Like Toe Black was like that. Um, and then Henning. Man, I was watching, like, for the technique geeks, like, Arv and Devin. Like, come on. Her classic skiing is, like, is up there. Like, it's one of the best. You watch her on TV. She's, like, good angle. She's Her double pulling is is good. Um, but her striding, she just has, like, like powerful upper body, but then just such good, good long glide. Um, yeah, she's just skiing super well. And also, yeah, like hats off to the American girl. Like they've been doing such a good job too. Yeah, like for sure. And the woman is one of the big team now. Like, yeah. Um, and it's good to see, like not good to see. Um, it's good to see changes. You know, it's not Norway with Johog like winning with a minute on everyone every weekend. Um, it's good to see Frida like, She's looking good. I mean, she's always looking good, but she's looking in good shape again. 
um no it's it's been good yeah yeah well, the, honestly in the past two years i have to say like i well i barely ever watch my own races um i don't like doing that but yeah i've been watching like the girl skis skiing and yeah it's been good good show yeah i like it so no it's true yeah, women's racing is way more exciting than men's racing it, right for now. sure it is it yeah. is and you know what's crazy alex and tony and, and that like that the the TV the TV numbers are reflecting that, like yeah, women skiing for the first time ever is more popular as far as like viewers in World Cup skiing this season than men. So it's it's not just us like sitting around talk like four dudes talking about how exciting it is. It's this is what's showing up in the actual numbers internationally as far as uh, TV audiences, which is kind of interesting. This is changing gears a little bit, Tony, and feel free to dodge the question. Uh, that's cool. And Alex, of course, I'd like to hear his perspective afterwards because I think he probably agrees with me. In Canada right now, like on the men's side of things, like you're you train with all the other bros, and I know like at training camps, and you're good friends with them, and some of them like that are like Olivier is on the training center in your training group, and Sasha Masson, which is so exciting to see him on the World Cup and get some chances uh, here, is is in your training group as well. But you really are standing alone. Like, as far as, like, the mentorship roles, like, I feel like you, and this is what breaks my heart kind of with Canadian skiing, is, like, we don't seem to be able to figure this out so well as far as this mentorship role that well. Like, it's you in the top 10 or, like, fighting for the top 10, especially in classic races this season. And even in skating, you're you're well within the top 30. You're right around 20 at least, if not into the teens. And then the next best guy is like not competing with you. Like you are alone um, as far as your team is concerned. And do you find that, like, do you find that tough? I mean, I know Alex didn't have that, like I, late in his career, you did, you did. And that's why I wanted to hear his perspective. But like, I know myself, like when I kind of broke through when I was like 22, 23, like I had a lot of guys I trained with, but then when the results came to be like top 10 on the world cup or, or on the podium, like, it was me and that like individually. And that's, that's a tough place to be. Like you said, like you were, you were making a joke about the Norwegians walking around like big swing and dicks and stuff, but they do, they have that attitude. Like they're arrogant for sure. But at the same time, like you call it arrogance they're just confident. Like, I mean, they, they know they've, 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 they have this big group and they know like Paul Goldberg knows if he has a horrendous day, there's like five other dudes that are going to be one, two, three, seven. You, you, you know what I mean? And, have you found that hard or are you, are you just so within yourself that you're like, you're on your own journey and you're so psyched. You're having these great races that who cares, or, or is it something you don't even think about? No, for sure. It's um, yeah. I think that it's worth addressing the question, you know, especially with our neighbors down South, like they have also a young group, I would say like for sure there's Scott that's there. Um, but I feel like it was a little bit the same for them, right? Like when Arv, you retired, um, like I, with the, the year Arv retired, it was like my first World Cup, I think, in Quebec. Um, we never really had like a big change, like, or I, I, I was never like on the World Cup circuit with like um, mentors and like people showing me around. So yeah, for sure it's, like we, yeah, we for sure struggle on the men's side, like putting more people in the top 20. Um, also is a big loss with like Richie, unfortunately broke his leg uh, going on the jog. 
um, terrible accident. <laughs> now the, the kid has four screws in the plate. He's out for the season. Now he's just drinking beer and watching hockey games. <laughs> so no, he's on, he's on the, on the way to come back, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's tough because we train all summer together and it's tough, but also I think is a mental barrier. We train all summer together. Some of those guys are like torching me and running. I'm, I'm not a good runner, but they are showing like good signs of fitness. And then same on the roller skiing. They're right there with me all the time. And sometimes I'm behind and it's like, it's good, good super good. And then it's good sign because you know that one day maybe they're going to be able to break through and come on the World Cup and finally do like those kind of results. And like on a good day, they can beat me in the summer. Well, for sure, on a good day, they can beat me in the winter as well. And if it's on a 20K Master, well, that probably means it's a good race. But yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's it's been a little tough. And yeah, if when you have a few guys like, you know, with the U.S., they have JC, Ben, Zach, Gus is like making the heats every weekend. They've got such a good group and everyone is bringing everyone up. And like for the team, the techs as well, they're like the U.S. techs have been going like above and beyond for the skis all season. And I think it, like they've got something good going on. And yeah, it's it's hard to try to repeat the same process, but not necessarily get in the same results. And, but yo, we, we get in there like today with the relay, it was such a good day. Um, we were sticking in the Peloton. We, we had like probably one of the youngest team out there. Um, all the boys ex except me were under 23. Um, yeah, it's showing good sign. It's taking time. And also one, one thing I'm finding hard on my part is I find myself in in like a mentor and now I probably have the most World Cup start. So like the team has been putting not they're not putting pressure for me to do it. And and for sure, if I don't want to do it, I can just say no. But I feel like um they want me to step up as like leader and and take the position. And I find it hard because I'm also learning a lot, like every weekend I'm learning something new and like, I feel like our view, yeah, when you joined the team, you had, like, guys that were doing good results and were probably showing you the ropes a little bit. And, yeah, I feel like I didn't didn't necessarily get that. And it's hard for me to, like, do it if I didn't get it. So, yeah. But, no, we, we're getting there, man. Don't worry. The, yeah, right. I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not worried. This is a great question. This is a great answer, though. Thanks, man. And like, Alex, what do you think about that? Or Nat, do you want to no. jump in here? Yeah, Nat, you can go. Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, the the taking taking the mantle from from Alex uh, Harvey and Devin Kershaw. It's, it's a it's a heavy burden, man. I, I I empathize with that. I I had a question for you, Tony, and I I think you spoke to this maybe a little bit earlier, but. Um, I, 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 I'm going to be just sort of speak sort of bluntly here, knowing you could probably handle it, which is like, I feel like with your results this season, it, it feels like it's just been a little bit of like a roller coaster for you with like a lot of ups and downs, like, you know, top, like one weekend or one race, you'll pop like a top 10. And then like another weekend, you'll be like 
outside the top 30. And I I just, you know, I was thinking about that, knowing you were going to come on today and was just sort of curious, like, you know, how you've been thinking about those like ups and downs and like what you think is like goes into that. And, and, you know, if you're thinking about like what you might be able to do sort of as you get older to kind of smooth that out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, I said before, we, with the team, we've been struggling with a couple of things and um, I feel like this season I've been, um, maybe it doesn't look on the result sheet, but I feel my fitness and uh, the way I've been skiing has been really like a lot more consistent than the past few years. Um, yeah, always I like have a good weekend when there's a classic weekend, especially like here in Oberhof, I didn't wear my ski boot once. So that's always like good weekend, you know, legend skiing and yeah. Um, but no, I, I I feel like I've been like, yeah, getting, I, I think we, yeah, I'm from the same team as Arv and uh, I've been using uh, Arv's plan basically and we've been adding to the skeleton, right? We've been changing a few things. Um, we'll be doing a lot of altitude. Um, we have a supportive group too, like with Robin, who's the head coach with Canada. He's like, believes it super hard. We do a lot of altitude. We do three camps. So we did twice in Park City, once in Tsing. And um, yeah, I feel that added a lot of consistent to my shape. But for sure, then I think it's also good that I have little peaks and then it comes down. That shows that eventually if I can get the consistent higher, then maybe the little peaks are even better and the normal is maybe more around 15. Um, so, but no, it's a good question. But yeah, we... Hopefully I answered well. But what that you did totally. Thanks, Tony. But Alex, like just to like circle the wagons back to that other question, like what, what do you see for Canada? Like I just like your perspective, because I, I feel for you, Tony. I really do, because it's it's like I I've kind of been there myself in, in some ways. And it's hard. You're 25. Um, you had a good progression. I think it's really cool that you like under 23s. You I mean, I was there with you racing under 23s. You did world juniors, like you did the steps in the right way. And then now like bang, like you're top 10, you're top 10. And like, you know, you're the when you're getting multiple top tens and we're not even we're kind of like halfway through the season, like you you will have to wear the leadership, the leadership role there. And of course, like Alex, yeah, like he had me at uh, when he came into the to the team but Alex was also that leader on the junior team because no one had ever been on the podium and Alex like comes out of his junior career with like a backpack full of medals and yeah okay on the senior career like we had he had some mentorship around him with me and stuff but then like later in his career when I was like the dog missing all his teeth like one of my <laughs> legs had been chopped off I'm like molting I'm like losing fur and stuff and Alex is like giving me some of his like milk bones and stuff like once in a while he's like come on man like just eat the milk bone you'll be top 10 then i get like a top 10 or something and it's like see he can still do it <laughs> like um but then i was done right then i was done and then alex late in his career was also like again like alone and maybe to end this kind of conversation i don't know if you have uh any perspective on it alex but like like this seems to be like a plight of, of canada really and like i don't know if you have any perspective on it or if this is just kind of how it is with a small sport in a small country i don't know no well i mean from my perspective or at least my personal experience was that i was extremely lucky to come in at a time when the team especially on the men's side was 
on the men's side uh, was at an all-time deep. Like the depth in the men's team from 2009, which was my my first year senior, till really like 2018, those nine years were were the deepest the men's team has, has ever been. Uh, so and, and those those were my years of first learning to to race on the World Cup, but also like learning to train like a senior athlete and to travel. Like what what's sometimes underestimated is like the time you spend in your duffel bag from November first until March twenty eighth or or thirtieth, like whatever is the date, the the Monday after the last World Cup, it's it's hard to, to kind of be comfortable in that lifestyle of changing hotels and finding like the time to, to, yeah, to, to train, to recover, but to take care of yourself, like mentally to have fun and hang out with your buddies and all of that, but in a positive way. So the easiest way for, for me at least, and the easiest periods during my career was when not necessarily I was on the podium or top 10 even, but, there was always one or two guy who would have success. So the, the team vibe was like for some years, like I think 2012, there was not a single World Cup where we didn't have a top five on the men's side. So, I mean, that's from November 1st to March 30th. Every single weekend, there's a Canadian guy, whether it was Ivan, uh, Lenny, Devin, or me in the top five, like at on Sunday night at dinner or when you're at the airport, like everybody's high-fiving each other. Like it's a successful weekend. So those years it, it's so much easier to to do the whole winter and, and be positive and training and when you do your art session on wednesday all together like you know that maybe you're third on in, in the line during intervals but the two guys in front of you were either top five this like previous weekend or the week before and the same thing in the summer like especially for me in the first cup the first few years of my career like i was never like a big like i would train a lot but i wasn't that good in like in interval training. So I would just like try to follow the, the the line. So it's so much easier to follow. It's the same thing in a mass start, but in interval training, you're just trying to follow like George, Devin, Ivan, and I would get popped in the last couple of intervals. But year after year, I would progress. Eventually I was able to stay with them. Then eventually I was able to take one or two pulls in in a, in intervals, fight with them in, in the time trials. And then eventually I ended up the one taken polls but it wasn't until like i think 2015 or 2016 that i was like spending more time in the front uh you know the in doing interval training so i was yeah i had a really strong team around me and helping me both in training but hanging out like during the winter and with a positive vibe so i think that's it's hard to replicate that because like i said those nine years I don't think it's ever happened. It, it happened on the, the the women's side from 2001 till 2006, maybe. Um, so they had like a five-year period there where the girls were like really strong and they had, they had a strong team. Uh, but those were very unique moments in, in Canadian skiing history. So it's hard to replicate that. So my easy answer would be like try to spend time. And it's kind of easy because we're in the same situation as the American team. Try to to get the positive vibe from the American team because Jesse is the best in the world. Uh, Rosie Brennan is the second best skier in the world, you know, on the women's side. Like, like, uh, and then the men's side are developing well. So try to 
maybe organize some interval session with them. I'm sure you're spending a lot of time in hotels, uh, airports with them. So just try to feed off their positive vibe. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a way to try to kind of find your way, find a positive vibe. But I mean, being eight yesterday and, you know, best time and best, like for the second leg, Tony had the best leg time today. Like those are positive things and, It's good to look around to find more positive things from outside, but never forget that the results that, that you're doing are pretty, pretty impressive as well. Yeah. They're crazy, crazy impressive, Tony. And, and I think that's really like wise of, of Alex and, and um, especially that idea of like, if, if you, you know what you said is cool. You were so honest with us about like that mentorship role where you're like, Oh my God, like, do I have to be the leader? But that, that is so such good stuff from Harv. Like the biggest thing is like, leader or not don't take that on so hard instead be like how can i make sure we're having a good time out here yeah. in europe because like dude you're also in europe like so like if you're having fun in europe it's gonna pull those other young guys especially some guys like olivier or whatever has been struggling for a while here like it pulls him in a more positive mood and then like when new guys come in like sasha or like tom stevens from canada or dav is new like it pulls them along as well so i think uh No, the future is super bright and you guys are such a fun, exciting young group of, of dudes. And I just want to say, like, I think we can wrap this up. Like, it's this was uh, this is awesome talking to you, Tony, and good luck in the future is, is sweet. And Alex, always a pleasure, buddy. Always a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> always thanks a pleasure. for having me. Yeah, thanks, Joni, for uh, joining. That was fun. Yeah, thanks for uh, listening to us, you know, getting you uh, catching up on the Canadian skiing <laughs> yeah i know um, but it's awesome it's been fun cheering you guys on it's fun cheering you on tony like you're like i said i mean you're at such a you're in a you're at a beast of a level if you're top 10 man fuck it's a podium is right around the corner and man i'm gonna the champagne's on ice over here dude so we'll <laughs> pop that when uh when yeah. you pop on a podium yeah Thanks. and I, i gotta job. finish on on a note like yeah like just to close it um yeah for sure like We gotta do big hats off to the organization. Organization. Um, all I I feel like in the past few years is not many. Like it's been, I feel with the training centers in Canada, the best like communication and with the team with Robin and and Jeffries um, and the tech team as well. Like I think we're really yeah we're we're is a wind of change and like the relay today was a good example. Like I think. We get a good relay. It shows everyone that our spots isn't like locked in on the relay, right? Um, like some new guys can come in and, and perform well. And yeah, in the future, hopefully it, it keeps going this way and everyone's going. Yeah. I good, will. So. It will. It will. And it's so good to hear that because like Alex and I have been through some like political upheavals <laughs> with Nordic Canada, if, uh, to put it mildly. So it's really, really great to hear like the, the best... Uh, the best athlete we have in Canada right now that's happy with the direction of the program. That also is so great to hear. And I know that I know Alex would probably agree with me on that. Oh yeah. You need, you need your top athlete to, to be happy and to be in line with, with the, the program. That's for sure. Sweet. Arvs, right. man. Yeah. I'm yeah. training. Dude, I yeah. skied, I skied almost 75 kilometers this weekend. So I'm, I'm training. I'm going to be ready. And you know, and you know, uh, Tony, you know, Harv's got the new boa boots. You know, there's like yeah. World Cup athletes without the boa boots from Solomon. Harv's got them. So, so he's, the bring, him, uh, bring, 
Bring him back for Trondheim 2025. 75k. Yeah, bring him back, baby. Bring him back. I'm only I'm only coming back if Nortad comes back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, don't rule it out. I don't rule it out. I think Dario is coming back too. <laughs> yeah. Joking apart, Magnifica did come. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Well, All right. And, and, and Kershaw lives two hours from uh, from That's Toronto. True. Yeah. Oh God. Oh God. I'm beat down. Tony saw me a couple of weeks. Like Tony saw me like a month ago. He knows I'm. It's not happening. But uh, I'll be. I'll be there with uh, cheering, cheering loud. Tony, good luck in in uh, in the weeks ahead. Awesome to chat. Thanks, Ciao. Man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Devin Kershaw Show. We'll be back soon.